Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Stand with me. Today is definitely a day we worship Jesus, isn't it? Oh man, that rain makes us want to go home and get back up underneath the covers, doesn't it? Let's just say amen as loud as we can. Ready? One, two, three. All right, I love you guys so much. Hey, Joshua chapter 3, verse 3 in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Today we're going to be starting our new series, God Has. And today I want to speak simply about God has a place for us. Joshua chapter 3, he is talking to the Israelites, Joshua is, and he commands the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of your Lord God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Father, our hearts are bowed. We pray that your word would illuminate our hearts and our life. Holy Spirit, have your way, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everyone says, amen. You may be seated. Go ahead and say hi to your neighbor. We are Awesome. We are so glad that you're here. I normally don't do what I'm going to do this morning, but I think it's an exciting thing to do in this case, so I'm going to try my best. I normally don't pick two different scriptures to preach out of, but I think it's important that we understand that the Old Testament is as important as the New Testament. Can I get an amen on that? When we look at the Bible, we don't need to say, well, we can basically just look from Acts to Revelation and we're fine. We need the entire Bible, don't we? And I, I would make this um, a bet with you, if you will. I'm not a betting man, but if I were, if you see it in the New Testament, you can find it in the Old Testament. It's in there. And here Joshua is in command of the Israelite armies. They are now going on to the promised land. Some things have changed. He's in leadership. Uh, Moses has passed away. And God's saying now it's time to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. And he begins to talk to them about what to do. And he says this, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, for many of us, we know that that represented God, if you will. It was what was protected. People looked to it. We know that there was things inside that was really important to the Jewish faith and things like that. And what it was is, listen, as you see the ark move, then you get out and move. And I was intrigued by that scripture as I began to think back and read Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, because he says, listen, as you see the ark move, I want you to step out of your place and begin to follow it. It's amazing that no matter whether we're in Christ or outside of Christ, whether we're trying to follow God or not try to follow God, we have a place. And then in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And you have to love this because not only is he really talking to his disciples, but he's really talking to a lot of other people that are there listening to this. But specifically, he's teaching his disciples. And he said, if anyone would come after me, so if anyone would step out of their place... Let him deny himself and take up his cross. That's what it's saying. So if anyone comes after me, so whenever we see God move in which Christ is God, he's not a God, he's the God, amen? Yes. Whenever we see him moving, he said, if you're going to step out of your place, that's what it means by laying down your cross and denying yourself. How many of us have some stuff to lay down before God? 
How many of us have some stuff that we need to deny because Christ has called us to do that? I want to let you know, if you're new here, you're in good company. Because whether you've been saved 25 years or 250 years or whether... No, I'm just kidding. Whether you've been saved however long you've been saved, we all have things that we find out every day. Well, that's one more thing I need to lay at the feet of Jesus. But if we're going to do it, he's saying, listen, that's how you give up your place and then ultimately follow me. And here he's teaching the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it's amazing as he talks about Matthew chapter 16 and 24. Because he, he, he says, listen, I, I, or in that same teaching, he talks to Peter. And, and the same teaching that he says, if someone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In that same section of teaching, Peter declares that Jesus is the Son of God first. And then Jesus also talks about how he's going to build his church upon the rock, which is himself he's talking about. But then he looks at Peter, and we did a great sermon series over this a while back. I'd encourage you, the keys of the kingdom. And he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you the keys. And then he goes on and talks about the death and resurrection that he's about to take part of. And then he says, if anyone would follow me, God is on the move. Amen. He's into building, he's into moving, he's into giving us things that we need to expand the kingdom of God. I mean, think about this. I was praying about it this morning. What an awesome opportunity, as Paul writes, that we are earthen clay vessels. And God has chosen us to house the Spirit, His Spirit inside of. Amen? That, that He would move through us to help change lives. You know, the greatest thing that God can do is still salvation. Amen? Still restoration and people finding the goodness of Jesus Christ. And he chooses us to teach through and to preach through and to love and to share. And Jesus is teaching, listen, God has a place for you. I have a place for you. And we see it in the Old Testament too. But we have to move from the place that we're in. And it's a great question to ask. Have you ever thought of this question right here? Is there room for me? I think it's a great question to ask. I think in our generation, especially in our current generation, it's something that we see repeatedly asked in multiple different ways. Is there room for me? It's what happens whenever new people come into the church, and if you're new, we love you, and we want you to know there is a place for you here. But we teach in our mentoring class. If somebody steps alongside of you and you have two trash bags, and they have a trash bag, and they say, can I help you? Give them a trash bag, and y'all walk out to the dumpster together. Don't say, no, I got it, I can take care of it. No, make room, because what people are asking typically, whether you're washing dishes or carrying out a sack or greeting people, is, is there room for me here? And it's a great question. It's what the neglected spouse may ask the person, the spouse, that is really driven. You're chasing your job, you're chasing you know, all these different things, but is there still room for me? It's what every young man that drops to one knee and proposes to his beautiful, hopefully, you don't get shut down. That's embarrassing, right? Have you ever seen the kissing cams where a guy has it all planned out and he proposes and then she says no in front of the whole stadium or whatever? hate to be that guy. But it's what's in the heart whenever you're reaching up and you have that ring is, it's, is there room for me in your life? And it's a great question. I even think back whenever we think back to the birth of Jesus Christ and we see something miraculous about to happen. And we see in, verse, or in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, which is Jesus, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. They, they knocked on the door, knock, knock, knock. Is there room for me here? 
And the innkeeper said, I'm sorry, we don't have room, maybe time and time again. Could you imagine being that innkeeper now on this side? Like, man, I really messed up there, you know. <laughs> I could have had the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords built, uh, uh, birthed in my house, but I decided to say no, and now he's, he's being birthed in a stable, in a manger, in a cave, if you will. And they lie, laid him in the manger. But it's the same question that we see, is there room for me? It's what the lonely student will ask when they're deciding to be a part of a youth group. I know that y'all have already got something established here, but is there, is there room for me? And it's a great question to ask ourselves. It's a great question that I think at the core of all of us, it, it, it's, it's something that lies within inside of it. Is there room? And the answer is yes. There is a place for you in the kingdom of God. And this is the great news. It's not only on the other side of eternity when we get to heaven and we walk on the streets of gold and the crystal seas. Oh, no, no. We believe that as Christians that God wants to do something with our life here on earth. Amen. That there's a place for me that I can use my passions and my talents and the things that God's given me to proclaim this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and watch people's lives be changed. Amen? And it's not just through speech. It's not always through singing. Sometimes it's just through the way that we live. Amen? It's whenever we go into our inner circles and our social circles and God and people see God work in our lives. It's whenever we go into our places of employment and people see God work in our lives. It's whenever we go into our own homes. That's where it should start. Amen? and our wives and husbands and children and grandchildren and all these different wonderful people that's a part of our family seed. Man, this thing is for real inside that person. And it's amazing that we have that place. But that place is only found through one. It's not found through any other. Now, I don't know. I know many of you guys know this in here, but I don't know who might listen to the podcast or the CD. So let's just clarify some things that God does have a place for us. And this is what should encourage us is God does have a place for us, but in order to obtain that place, I have to be willing to give up my place. Whenever you see the Ark of the Covenant move, you must step out from your place and begin to follow it. If anyone would deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. But this is the amazing thing about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the reason why I have a place because one day he gave up his place for a short time in eternity that he could become one of us. Now, uh, he's still king of kings and lord of lords when he walked on the earth, amen. But he did become in the likeness of men. Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Gave up paradise for a little bit. All the hurts and the pains that he didn't have to endure and encounter. He was being worshiped day after day after day. The wonderful, amazing heaven. Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. I'm going to skip ahead just simply to verses 7 and 8, but read it. It's, it's, it's really good. But emptied himself, so talking about, Christ, by, by, uh, talking about Christ, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So the reason why we can have a place is because Christ gave up his place, and I can guarantee you that his place is better than any place I could reach on earth by myself. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? It's an amazing thought. Is there room for me? I want you guys to know that there is room for you in the kingdom of heaven, and there's certainly room for you here at Ray of Hope. 
Now, there's only one way, though, to get that place eternal, amen, and it's through Jesus Christ. And I have to say this because in our culture, we have so many influencers. We have Hollywood influencers and social media influencers and just media, news media influencers and influencers, influencers, influencers. Everybody is trying to be an influencer. And we see that many of them carry this ideal of faith. I have faith, 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 faith. What so many of them leave out is, but there's one that I have faith in, and that's the Son of the living God. It's not just faith in a God or faith in something. Steve Harvey puts it this way, and of course he influences thousands and thousands, if not millions. There is no one way to heaven, no one way to paradise. It is like television. Now, there's over 800 channels on cable, and they're all pretty entertaining. So I'm pretty sure that to get to heaven, there's got to be more than one route. There's only one route, and his name is Jesus Christ. Narrow is the gate. As I began, I could find a million other quotes, but I really think that kind of, in a lot of ways, encapsulates the ideal of what so many influencers think. We don't want to tread on toes. We don't, we don't want to, you know, affect our bottom line. I want people to still endorse me and do these things. So I'm not afraid to use the word faith because faith, we all need a little bit of faith. But as Christians, we know that we don't need a little bit of faith. I need a little bit of me or nothing of me and a whole lot of Jesus. Amen. John put it like, like this that I may decrease and he may increase. And there's just one. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4 and 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's through Christ and Him alone. It's through my faith in Him that He is what He says He is. Amen. Now, this is the thing, though. Now, we all know that, so I'm not only talking to the ones who, if you need to stick your faith in Christ, you need to do that. But I also know that in life, that sometimes we lose our place. Can I get an amen on that? Sometimes we step out of our place that God has given us. Sometimes we lose our place. Sometimes we get distracted, and we have to get back on the course where our, where our gifts and our talents and those things and those nature, uh, things of that nature can build the kingdom of God. So today I just want to share about three thoughts with you quickly about how we remain in that place. That place that is not something that we can necessarily identify because um, life with God is a journey. It's not a spot or a destination. There's many things going on around us. When I was refing bas- or excuse me, when I was refing football in Texas, I learned something. First of all, I learned that everything they say about Texas football is a real deal. Real deal. Some of the best chewings I ever got in my life was at junior high football games, as I'd throw a flag for something that didn't really happen. One of the first things that they taught us, they said, as you throw the, as you're, as you're, as a, you got the out of bounce line, and as they roll out of bounce, he said, what immature or inexperienced refs usually do is they look where they went out of bounce, and then they put their foot down, and they begin to blow their whistle, and all they're doing is looking at the spot. And they have no idea what's going on around them. There's fights breaking out, because you know how it is. You get into the opposing team sideline, somebody's going to throw a punch probably. Somebody's going to be mouthy or somebody's going to be wordy or something like that. And he said, listen, the spot isn't going to move. 
You need to get your head up and put your head on a swivel. That way, in case there's a fight breaks out, you can throw a flag or you can break it up. In case there's a cheap shot given or something like that, you're aware of everything that's going on. In Christian life, it's very much the same. Listen, I am founded, my solid rock is Jesus Christ, amen? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to move, so I want to keep my eyes on him, but I also want to look around at what God is doing, how he's moving, how, what kind of things are going on. I have to realize that there's more to it, so I want to remain. So the first thing here is that God is moving and we should be looking. That God is moving and we should be looking. That it's not just a spot. God is moving all around us. I mean, there's no other way around understanding that God is moving. Joshua chapter 3, verse 3, and, and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord being carried, being carried, the ark was on the move, and they were fixing to go into the Jordan, which was in flood. And, and they knew that once their feet hit it, they had faith that God was going to deliver them. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, man, our God is on the move, amen. He's doing things around us. And this is the thing. If we want to be in the place where God is using us to do those things, if we want to be in that place where we see those own miracles take place in our lives, and we still believe that that kind of thing can happen, Man, think about this. It was the beginning for the priests. They had to cross the Jordan to get to the land flowing with milk and honey. They, they saw all kinds of miracles happen up to that point, but there were still many miracles to come, amen? And Jesus was saying, listen, behold, you see the miracle that I was born into earth and given my life for you, but anybody who would follow me, anybody who would deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow me, and then he teaches us that greater things even that they'll do, and we'll begin to see that. I mean, it happened in Peter. Peter, whenever he stood up and declared on the day of Pentecost and thousands of people got saved, it could be easily said that in that moment, Peter preached to as many or more than Jesus may have ever preached to physically in one setting. Greater things will be done. Now, I'm not saying in that setting that was the largest of all time, but I'm saying in that setting what God did through Peter was amazing. And it was a great thing. But God is on the move, and we must chase him. We must have to be willing to follow him. I was doing a little bit of research on baseball. Now, I'm not a baseball guy necessarily. I like baseball. I respect it. It's an honorable sport. But I'm not necessarily a, um, a guru on it. So, so go with me. If you are, then, then forgive me for some of this. But if you're not, then hopefully this will encourage you. I, I was doing a little bit of research. From the time that the baseball leaves the pitcher's hand until it gets across home plate, you're looking at a half a second. A batter who stands in their stance has the bat up in the air. Whatever they're going to do, they have a half a second to complete it, and that's it. Now, in a half a second, they have to swing the bat. They have to read the pitcher. There's some different things they have to do. Softball's the same way, except for in softball, you have about a third of a second to react. Now, if a pitcher pitches in baseball about 90 miles an hour, in softball, the pitch goes across the plate at about 70 miles an hour. You have in softball a third of a second to react. In baseball, you have a half a second to react. And I was doing a little bit of research, and it's just there's something amazing about watching people who are the very best at what they do, isn't it? about watching these guys who can literally take a stick made out of a tree and smash a baseball well into the stands and over the stadium. Or whatever, football or singing or whatever it is, it's just amazing to see those people. 
And these guys are the best of the best. And I began to think, what in the world helps them see that ball? How do, they, how do they see that ball as it comes across the plate? How do they know how to swing? And then when it all happens in a half a second, that is a crazy amount of time. David Epstein said this. He's the author of the best-selling sports book, The Sports Gene, and says this, that terrific hitters are known for two things. They're known for seeing an, a situation unfold, and they're also known for acting on it. So it's just not enough to see what's going on, but it's also we have to act on it. And, and in professional baseball, and I would assume in elite athletics such as college and stuff, they look for two great things in hitters. And baseball players or softball players, they look for eyesight. They look for the ability that the person has an enormous amount or a great amount of eyesight. Mickey Mantle put it like this, one of the greatest hitters in all of baseball. He said, I can't explain what happens, but as the baseball comes at me, it looks like a giant grapefruit. I was in junior high. I played baseball for two years in high school, decided that it was not for me. I'd rather... At least in football, I had a helmet on when I got hit by stuff. You know what I'm talking about? And I remember very vividly being out on the field, playing catch with somebody who knew how to play baseball. I was a late starter in my life. The only baseball I'd ever played really was in junior high. I played a little bit of t-ball. And I remember very vividly trying to catch a ball and seeing that ball bounce over that glove and jam me in the chin and having baseball seams across my face. I really don't know what Mickey Mantle was talking about. Because the only time that baseball looked like a grapefruit is when it smashed me in the face. Up to that point, I couldn't see where it was at. You know what I'm talking about? But Mickey Mantle, on the other hand, he said, listen, I can't explain it, but there's something, there's something that happens that I can see that, that looks like a big grapefruit. And then the next thing is the ability to predict movement. It, 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 they, they look for a, a person who can hit. What, what ability do they have to predict what's coming? And I was thinking about whenever we're following a God who moves, those are two very important things that we must have. We must have eyesight. We must be willing to step out of our place and say, God, I want to be in the place that you want me to be in, so I want to look at you. I want to see what you're doing. I want to have that vision in Christ and that movement in faith. Because one thing that I know that God moves and he's constantly doing in things. Now, unfortunately, sometimes we don't get it the first time. How many of us have ever lived a couple days on repeat? God's teaching us something and we repeat it because we didn't pass. And we're like, God, why are we doing this over and over again? Well, it's like deja vu because we didn't get it the first time. He's gracious and patient. The children of Israel walked around the mountain for 40 years in the wilderness. So he's got time, right? So us that doesn't have time. But he's willing to work with us and do those things. But God is constantly moving and he'll wait He'll wait for us to get caught up and say, okay, listen, this is where I'm trying to move and this is where I'm trying to do. So how do we keep that place? How do we make sure that we keep our place in Christ? Then we're not always on repeat. I think another thing that I see is not only do we keep our eyes, um, do we, we understand that God is moving and we should too, but we keep our vision on Christ. How many of you guys have ever heard that saying, keep your eye on the ball? I'm sure we've all heard that, right? Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the prize. And those baseball players, one of the things that they do at practice is they work on routine practices where they do nothing but train their eyes to begin to see what the ball's going to do. 
I mean, it's amazing. They can stand at the plate, and in a half a second, now let's take out another quarter of a second to swing the bat, and a quarter of a second they can decide whether that ball is going to sink, whether it's going to rise, whether it's going to curve, what it's going to do, and how they need to swing the bat. It's an amazing thing. But their eye is in tune to knowing what this little object about this big around that's moving at 90 miles an hour across the plate. But they've tuned their eye to say, okay, how is this object moving? What does it look like? One of the reasons why we keep our vision on Christ is because of all the things in the world. I mean, think about the batter. Thousands and thousands of people in the stands. They know that millions of eyes are no doubt watching them on TV. We forget that professional players are human, so they probably have problems at home and problems with their kids. We for sure know that a lot of them have problems in marriage. Amen. That's all over the internet a lot of times and things. Poor people getting that stuff blasted. They have all kinds of issues and situations and circumstances. No doubt if they got griped out by the coach or whatever happened, but yet they stand over the plate. And they have to keep their eye on the ball. They have to say, listen, my vision is on that ball. And there's so many things that pulls at us. There's so many things that grapples for our attention that we must remember that we keep our vision on Christ. If we're going to be in the place that God designed us to be, then with all of our heart, I keep my vision on Christ. This is how David said it. David says this in Psalms chapter 25, verse 15. And he helps us understand how the world pulls at us. He says this, My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. And it helps us understand there's some things out there that are meant to trap us. That it's just the world, it's just life, it's no, maybe nothing that we've asked for, but it just happens. And we can get started getting caught up in our circumstances around us and lose the vision of where God is. And then all of a sudden we begin to lose vision of our place. And that's when we begin to wonder. David, as he matures, I guess, a little bit in Psalms chapter 141, verses 8 and 9, he, goes, he, he teaches us about traps and about people. You know, there are some people out there that cannot wait to see Christians fail, amen? There's some people out there that really will set traps. They will test you. It's like the pastor who got off the bus. The bus driver gave him an extra 35 cents. He was walking down the steps, and he thought, what happens if I keep this 35 cents? The Lord convicted him, and, turned, turned, and he turned around and gave that 35 cents back to that bus driver. And he said, sir, you overpaid me. The bus driver looked at him and said, I did that intentionally. I was willing to see whether you were going to sacrifice your witness for 35 cents or not. God help us for some of the things we sacrifice our witness for from time to time, amen? But there will be intentional traps that people will set. This is the one thing that we understand that whenever God is moving, God is blessing, and we're growing, not everybody is happy with that. Because whenever that's happening, that usually means it's messing up Satan's plan somewhere. And people who are not in Christ and who are in Satan's plans, that means their plans are being messed up and God's plans continue, amen? But David says this. David, David helps us understand. But my eyes are towards you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Verse 9. Keep me from the trap they have laid for me and from the snares of the evildoers. And it's, it's, it's interesting here because as he writes this, he's either talking just to God on a midnight prayer or an evening prayer, if you will, about some of the experiences in his life, or Psalms 141 is written as somebody chases him, as somebody's trying to lay out traps and take his life. 
But he says, listen, amongst all those traps where people are trying to ruin my reputation and take my very life, there's one thing that I know that I have to do. And Lord, I will keep my eyes upon you. So whatever place that God has you in, as he moves you forward, don't get caught up in the traps. People will come against you. Things will happen but you keep your eyes on Christ and we operate in love. You know, that's one of the greatest ways we can say, well, how do I know my eyes are on Christ? Well, what you're doing, are you doing it in love or are you doing it in anger? Because if you're doing it in anger, our eyes are not on Christ. If you're doing it to guard your reputation or things like that, as opposed to doing it in love, then we know that our eyes are off Christ. It continues here. I love Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it helps us understand the desires of life that pull at us. The things, in verse 1, it talks about the sin that so easily entangles us. And then verse 2, it gives us the fix for that. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's the vision of having a clear understanding of Christ. This is where you're moving. This is what you're doing. This is what you've told me to do. So I'm going to watch for you as you move and do things, and I'm going to make sure that my vision is clear, that it is set upon you. I love the prophet Micah, Micah chapter 7, verse 7. He's making some very difficult prophecies, and he knows some things are coming for the children of Israel. The book of Micah helps us understand that. But in the midst of him talking about children, the children of Israel backsliding and doing things they don't need to do, some things that they're going to, consequences that they're going to have to endure, he also gets caught up in the amazing prophecy that God is still going to do something great. Even prophetically talking about Christ, the one which is to come, the one which will bring fulfillment. And in chapter 7, so this is the last chapter of the, of the book of Micah, there's only 10 other verses after this. This is what the prophet Micah says. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the Lord of my salvation. My God will hear me. Don't you just love the expectation in that? Despite everything falling apart, despite things being set, excuse me, despite traps being set, despite people coming against me, despite the things of the world that we just have to fight, there's one thing that I've made up my mind. But as for me, there's one thing that I will do, and I will look to the Lord. So when everything's falling apart around me, I'll make sure I lift my head and lift my head up to the hills from whence my help comes from. Amen? I don't get caught up in all the things. I keep my eyes on Christ, and I will wait for the Lord of my salvation. You know, sometimes that's all we can do. God, I've done everything that I can do. What I will not do is lose my focus and my vision on you, but what I will do is wait and wait in expectation that there's something else going to happen. See, many times in our life, it's just that. Micah helps us understand that sometimes it's okay to be in that place where, God, my vision is on you, not because the world's coming against me, my vision is on you not because of the traps that are laid for me. My vision is on you not because of all those negative things, but my vision's on you because God, as a child of God, I sit and wait in expectation of what you're going to do in my life, how you're going to use me in my place, how your spirit will move through me, how our family does need you to move in a situation desperately, and we're about to see it happen, how I need you to show me some revelation because I need to go a little bit deeper than you. God, I need you to open up a door in the community because I want you to do some things, God, so I'll wait in expectation because I believe the next good thing is just around the corner. And if I wait and be patient and keep my eyes upon you and don't get entangled in all that stuff, then when it's my turn, I'm going to be moving as you're going to be moving. 
See, we, we look for a God who's moving, and then we also make sure our vision stays upon that. And here's the third thing. It's faith-based movement. It's the ability to predict. So basically, it's this. Swing the bat and play the position. Six years ago, when I started here, I went to Pastor Mike. We met in July, started in August, was officially hired in October part-time. I told Pastor Mike, I said, Pastor Mike, I, I, I really love this place, I said, but I've already talked to my school district and already committed to them another year of teaching, so I really need to do this and teach. A couple things. A, we get to make sure that we're both on the same page, and, and this is a great place, great fit for both of us, but I've also committed to the school district. He said, that's a great idea, that's fine, go ahead and do that. August, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, we've been talking about it. Finally, the month of May comes around, and we have a meeting. Two weeks before school's out, and you know what I have to decide? I have to decide. I've been in the batter, batter's box long enough. I've seen the movements. I've seen what the church stands for. I've seen what the church has done. I've heard Pastor Mike preach at least up to that time 50 or 60 times. He's allowed me to preach once or twice. I've been in the youth department. I've seen what the children has done. I'm familiar and acquainted with the Sunday school classes and what we do on Wednesday nights and the buses and the missions and all the different um, things. And all five of my major questions were answered. And the question was simply this. Now, Matt, what are you going to do? Because it was time for me to swing. I'd found my place where I was supposed to be. I'd watch the ball. Now what we got to do is we got to swing and play the position. Joshua chapter 3, verse 3. Then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Matthew chapter 16, 24. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The question is simple. For you to be in the place that God wants you to be in the place that he's already paid the price for that place, what do you got to step aside from? Is it your comfort zone? Because we all have them. That's, that's the thing. You know, denying yourself and picking up your cross, I mean, it is sin, absolutely. But for many, it's not like we have this gross sin attached to our life that we're constantly... Sometimes it's just, God, I don't want to. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever say that to God? Like, God, I don't know if I want to or not. And that's the whole point is that I'm going to step out of that place of comfort. I'm going to step out of that place into faith and say, God, I'm going to follow you. The average Major League Baseball player plays, a, plays or there's 162 games in a year. And for the great ones, they play nearly all of them. And for the not so great ones, they play some of them. So you can guarantee that the average Major League Baseball player is going to get about 300 at-bats. Now, if you think that anywhere they're going to get from one swing to seven swings, man, that's a lot of swings at the ball. 300 at-bats at least. I've heard stats all the way up to 500, some down to 160, so we'll just call it even there in the middle, about 300 at-bats. And then if you take all the opportunities to swing and the amount of focus it takes... But this is the thing about it. Whenever they strike, they can't be thinking about the strike. They have to be thinking about the next pitch. In mine and your lives, we're going to take some swings and we're going to miss the ball, aren't we? 
We're going to be doing what God wants us to do, and we're going to be trying our very best, and we're going to have to say, you know what, I missed that one. But the goodness of God, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, which means I get to take another cut. I get to take another swing. I get to do it again. But it requires that focus. It requires that looking to God. And it requires this, that I'm willing to make the swing. It's not always easy. I mean, think about this. You're about to strike out in front of 30,000 people, millions of viewers on TV. That's a very pressure, difficult situation. But it's the one who steps in the batter's box who's willing to say, I'm willing to deny myself, pick up my cross, and I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to do it your way. Not my way, but your way, because I believe that the place that you have for me is greater than I could ever imagine. You know, one of the great things about professional baseball is not only do they have to swing a bat, but they also have to play the position. So whether they're infield or outfield, and we could go through all those positions, I don't think that's necessarily important as understanding that even in those positions, they have to maintain that focus and they have to be willing to make some mistakes. In baseball, it's called errors. But for somebody to make an error, that means they have to be playing. Guess what? In Major League Baseball, I am error-free. I've never struck out, and I've never made an error. But I also hadn't made a couple million dollars, <laughs> haven't hit it over the fence. I don't know what any of that's like either. But I could say, hey, listen, I'm safe. But these baseball players, they also play positions. And whether it's infield or outfield, they have to be focused. They have to be look at that ball that's moving. They have to be committed to the place that they're in. If they're playing shortstop or third base or first base or second base, which are all infield positions, they can't be daydreaming about, I wonder what it would be like to be in center field. They miss the opportunity to step up and be a part of the game and do something great. And you and I, whenever we get our focus off of Christ and we're not willing to take that swing and we're thinking, God, you know, I know you have me in this place, in this position, but man, I'd really like to be over here. We miss the goodness and the grace that God is trying to work through us where we're at. And the good news is that we're all a team. We don't win unless we all win. Amen? One of the loneliest places to play in baseball is left field especially in junior high and high school because so many batters are right-handed. So everything tends to happen on the right side of the field. But on the occasion that people can really hit that ball and place it where they want to, that left fielder becomes extremely valuable. I want you to know something. You may feel like, God, are you still using me? I feel forgotten. I feel like I've been in this place for a while. Man, I've been doing the things that you've asked me to do. There just doesn't seem like very much action is happening. I want you to say, I want to say this, maintain your focus, keep your eyes on Christ, watch as he moves and what he's doing, because the play's coming your way, and be ready for what he's about to do. And we know that from Scripture where it says those who are responsible with the small will get more. So you may think, God, I'm playing a position that seems like the ball's never being hit to me. I mean, I'm doing things that nobody sees, or or I don't even know if they matter. Let me tell you something, they matter in the kingdom of God. What you're doing matters. So you hold firm in saying, God, I know that you're moving, so I'm looking for that. And as you move, I'm going to make sure that my faith is based off of action, that I'm going to move forward. One of the things that I've enjoyed this last week is the Tour de France. The Tour de France is a 21-stage cycling event, and there's usually teams of eight. And it's amazing. These guys go anywhere from 50 miles an hour on a bicycle to climbing up hills to 15 miles an hour. I mean, it's incredible to watch. They're at stage seven or eight, I believe, right now. But this is the interesting thing. 
The Tour de France, although one person usually get the accolades and the awards for it, there's usually teams of eight that go into this race. There's like over 150 cyclists that go into this, but it's teams of eight. And what you will see, it's incredible as I watch the, the TV screen, because what will happen is they'll have their main guy amongst these eight, and there'll be a whole team around this eight that shelters this one guy. And they lead him up hills because, I mean, you're talking 120 miles a day over 21 days. I mean, it's crazy riding. And what they do is if they stay in front of him, then the wind cuts and all these different things, and they rest his legs. But what they do is they wait for the exact moment when they can part their bicycles, and all of a sudden he can emerge and race and win the stage. But whenever one person has to get out and lead the whole tour that day, it's just a matter of time before they run out of energy. And where they're at the very front leading, before too long they're at the very back following. We don't win without each other. And sometimes it's my day, and sometimes it's your day. But it's always Christ's day, amen, because he's chosen to work through us. So don't give up in the place that God has positioned you. Don't give up on that place. I don't know what's coming your way, but I'm going to believe it's greater than what you can hold in your barns. I don't know what's coming your way as far as miracle or emotional healing or things of that nature, but I'm just going to stand and believe that it's been the thing that you've been looking for for a long time that God is going to provide, amen. Don't give up your place because we are earth and clay vessels that the Spirit of God gets to move through. So whatever your situation, whatever your circumstance, know that I'm placed on the solid rock of Christ and I will not give that up. I'm going to keep my vision on God. I'm believing that He's going to move in my life. And when He does, I won't be afraid to step up into the batter's box and take the swing that I need to take. Amen. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.